Hi, my name is Todd Gray, Executive Director Treasurer for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. The Kentucky Baptist Convention was created by churches, for churches, to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. And it's just a real privilege and honor to get to cooperate with Kentucky Baptist in a mission that's really worthy of, of giving one's life to. This is Facebook Live Leadership Lessons, where the goal is helping Kentucky Baptist pastors to lead better. And my guest today is Dr. Ray Woody. Brother Ray is a long-tenured pastor, pastor at Coral Hill Baptist Church near Glasgow. Ray is married to Linda for 40 years. Ray, um, congratulations to you, and I'd love to interview Linda and to hear her side of that, of that story. They have two sons, uh, Jordan and Jensen. Uh, both are involved in Christian leadership. They have three grandchildren. Brother Ray, welcome to Leadership Lessons, and thank you for taking the time to, to join in. Well, Todd, thank you for letting me be a part of this. I, I just consider this a, not only a great honor, but a privilege to uh, just add my voice to the voices that you've interviewed previously. Those men have been absolutely exceptional leaders within our, within, not only within our state, but within our convention. And I'm, I'm just glad to have a part that if I can speak a word of encouragement in these days uh, to anyone, I want to be able to do that and also learn from them as well. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. You're welcome, and and thanks for saying that. Uh, Christian leadership is a is a privilege, not a right, and it's a real honor to get to be involved in ministry. And I always have to preface things that way because what comes next is there are challenges that go along with being a leader in ministry. And the goal of this this uh, this time is really to just help all of us be better leaders. And I, I've said, Ray, that if if nobody else participated, I'd still do it because I gain from every person I get to talk to and and ask questions, but especially you. So uh, for folks who are joining us, some will join live and some will join later. They may or may not know that you were on the search team that recommended me for the role and that, that I'm in. So I went through interviews with you. And Ray, I have to say that you have the distinction of asking the most difficult questions. So I, 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 it was a large committee. I think 15 people were probably on it, a, a very diverse group from all kinds of ministry backgrounds. And um, you ask questions like, everybody else would be finished, and then you would say, Todd, tell us, tell us uh, some weakness that God has revealed in your life in the last week. And I'm like, what a, where in the world is that coming from? And it really required a lot of thought. But, but all your questions were always spiritual questions, and it seemed to me that was your goal in, in trying to uh, gauge the, my walk and, and life with the Lord. So thank you for that, and I'm excited about returning the favor. Well, that's that's what I was going to comment. I, I kept wondering why you were asking me to be a part of this leadership lessons, and now it's all crystal clear that it's <laughs> your opportunity to get even with me and asking that, me some difficult questions. <laughs> that is exactly right. So let's get started. So, all right, uh, Ray. When you know when you know someone better, you like them more, or at least you can appreciate them more. So let let's yeah. hear a little bit about your story. Where are you where are you from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I was actually born and raised in Cleveland, or actually outside of Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, my mom and dad, who were great moral people, but they were not Christians, uh, great examples of great work ethic. I actually grew up in a deaf household. Both my mom and dad were deaf, and so I grew up in that deaf household. And uh, it was, I look back on that now, and that was a great blessing uh, that God really afforded me and my, my, my other four siblings. And uh, but at the age of probably around 10 or 11 years old, there was a sixth grade elementary school teacher named Ken Welsh who made a general invitation to his class that anybody that would like to come and go to church with him, he'd be glad to pick them up. And I thought that would be a great thing for me. And so I asked Ken Welsh if he would come by. And for the next five years, every Sunday without fail, Ken Welsh would pick me up and take me to St. Mark's Lutheran Church. And uh, I got involved in that church, got involved in uh, the uh, youth ministry, got a new, I was an acolyte, a head acolyte. I got to carry the crucifix, lead the choir in, clean off the communion cup as, as folks tasted that with each other. It's a great experience. And I'm confident that through that years of experience, I heard the gospel, but I never, never really heard it spiritually. And so for me, Christianity for a lot of years, Todd, was about, um, about being the best person I could be. A good, a good student, a good son, a good Christian, but the emptiness was still there. And the more empty I felt, the more determined I was to try to live a good life, only to continually fail. My mom and dad moved us out of Cleveland uh, down to a little rural part in 
uh, Southwest Virginia, a little place called Jonesville, Virginia, just outside of Middlesboro, not too far from Middlesboro. And I happened to uh, I happened to attend a revival at a Baptist church, uh, Friendship Baptist Church in Jonesville. Ronnie Owens, a, an evangelist and a pastor now in Tennessee, was preaching that revival. And, and God, for the first time, opened up my heart and opened up my eyes that the invitation of the gospel was not to give Jesus my sin, but to give Jesus myself. And the gospel just clicked for me. And I was 17 years old and God opened my heart, opened my eyes and, and just literally transformed my life. And so it wasn't until I was 17 years old that the truth of the gospel settled on my heart. And I not only gave him my sin, I gave him myself. And, and I've not been the same since. I'll soon be 60 years old a little bit later this month. And it's been a great journey and God's proven to just demonstrate great grace. Great, uh, incredible story. And, and uh, obviously Cleveland, Ohio prepared you greatly for rural Kentucky. Uh, but the, the, the deaf part, did you, was, did, did your family uh, use sign language? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just kind of an interesting side note. There used to be a television show in New York City called Bride and Groom. And my mom and dad actually were married on that television program. My dad had gone to a school that only taught lip reading. My mother went to a school that only taught sign language. So when they met, they didn't date very long before they got engaged. And uh, my father did not know very much sign language. So when he got married, he just said yes to everything the preacher said without knowing anything that was being spoken. So I don't know if his 50 plus years of marriage to my mother was binding or not, but he said yes to everything. <laughs> well, you know, in, in one way, not bad preparation for, for um, a, good and, a good and helpful marriage. That's, that's an incredible story. So uh, say to age 17, the way you grew up with a moral view of the gospel and then to finally be saved, you said you gave not just your sin, but you gave yourself to Christ. Uh, has that impacted the way that you preach and the, the way that you do evangelism? Well, in, in many respects, um, I'm grateful I had a, a an, an experience where I was not a Christian, an experience where I thought I was a Christian within the Lutheran tradition, spent a little time in the Methodist tradition, came to faith in Christ in the Baptist tradition. Now I have since then, I uh, had the conviction that I needed to study to find out what God's word said rather than what my denomination said. But God gave me an opportunity to get an insight into each one of those. And so it absolutely does impact me and impact as anybody in terms of our ministry and how we communicate that. And I think, Todd, of what it does for me is it, it really it really causes me to desire an authentic relationship with Christ, not only in my own walk with Christ, but when I call others to walk with Christ, to make sure that it's not rooted in their religion, but rooted in a real relationship with Christ himself. So Ray, you were saved at age 17, and I think I heard you say you started preaching around age 19 or pastoring around age 19. So how did the call to Christian leadership come, come to you? Yeah, it's really kind of interesting. I've had to kind of go through a theological uh, struggle with that because even before I became a Christian, I had a sense that I might be going into Christian ministry. And I shared that with the Lutheran pastor up in Cleveland, and they immediately began to make plans to send me to, to, to Ann Arbor to a, to a, a Lutheran-based Christian college. But when I came down south, before I was really saved, I'd shared with somebody that I thought God might want me to preach. Well, they said, fine, come preach next week. You know, And so they just kind of threw me into the fray. But I really wrestled with that because it wasn't... Um, I didn't know whether or not this was something I wanted to do or something that God was calling me to do. And so I really struggled with that call within my heart. Two things settled it for me, Todd. Um, one thing was biblically, Jeremiah was called while he was still yet in his mother's womb. So before he ever came fully to embrace and understand who this God is, God already mapped out his life. And so theologically, I, I believe that God can prepare somebody for ministry before there is a solid call upon their life. And then, and then the second part was, and I'm glad that what God does, um, he often and, and most often will confirm his will through his word. And I just came to God's word one night, Todd, and I said, God, I just need you to speak to me about whether I'm calling me or you're calling me. I have no background to this thing. I've only been a believer a year and a half or so. 
And uh, and I remember one night opening the Bible, not recommending that's the way you study it, but I did that and I opened it up with one question on my heart, one question on my mind, God, did you call me to preach? Well, I opened up the scriptures and it opened up to Isaiah 61, verse one and two, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me for I have anointed you to preach. Now I've come to know that that passage is not about Ray Woody. It's about the glorious truth of who Jesus is in his ministry. But God used that verse to solidify within my soul a call to preach. And I'm glad you I'm glad you said this because I know we're going to talk a little bit about what God has done here and in, in a long tenured ministry. But often I've had to go back to that call uh, to confirm what God had called me to do that caused me to be cemented in ministry. And often people want to go back to an experience or to a feeling and those things, God can use those things, but he uses what's the sure and true thing called the word of God. And it's the word of God that has been the anchor for my soul. Right. Such a, such a great story. And since you mentioned tenure, let's go ahead and, and, and talk there for a little bit. You've been at, you're at Coral Hill Baptist church and you've been there. Well, I'll let you tell it. So give us a little bit of a, a picture for folks who really have no idea where Coral Hill is anything about the church tell us a little bit about the church and how long you've served there so far as pastor yeah actually uh i, I had mentioned that i was saved at 17 years old and about a year and a half later god called me to a church in in, in a place called keoki virginia and uh, nine miles up in the mountains on the other side of pennington gap virginia and it was just a little old coal town everybody who graduated left the community and the lord allowed me to be there for about six and a half years uh, the church didn't know any better and I didn't either. And so I took that church and God allowed that church to flourish. And I was grateful for that. And actually during that tenure, I was a student at Clear Creek Baptist Bible College. And, uh, and God allowed me to develop some of my early formations under some very godly men who were conservative in their theology, evangelistic in their approach to ministry. And so grateful for the years I had at Clear Creek. Upon my graduation at Clear Creek, I stayed at Rawhide for another year. Uh, but God began to orchestrate his plans to bring me from, from that region of, of the world here to Glasgow, Kentucky. Glasgow, of course, is about uh, about 40 minutes or so east of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, we're a rural community. Coral Hill itself is actually located about four miles outside of Glasgow. So we're in a very rural setting. And at the time that I came, we were, we were running probably about 90 to 100 people in, in small groups or Sunday school and church at that. I was 20 years old and uh, came into the ministry just with a heart just to see God do some great things among us. And God has allowed us to be here. My wife and I be here now for 34 years, soon to be 35 at the beginning of next year. And it has been a it has been great blessings. And my heart is here. My my uh, my passion is here. And I'm grateful for what God has done in those years. We've seen we've never seen Todd in those in those 20 or those uh these years where 34 years where there's been exponential growth absolutely just blew it out of the water our growth has been real steady it's been just real consistent other times it's 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 been more explosive at times in other years but our intention from the beginning was not to try to build a big church but my intention from the beginning was to build a healthy church a church that's built on God's word, that's true to the Great Commission, that's evangelistic in its outreach, that's mission in its approach. We've just tried to implement for these 34 years those things that would bring health to the congregation and let God take care of the growth side of it. Now, that doesn't mean that when, when I was a student at Southern, uh, Dr. Tom Rayner was, uh, was my church growth uh, teacher during those days. He said something very early in one of the classes. He said, man, I want to tell you something. He said, if you don't trust completely in the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God's word and, and do a lot of praying, you need to get out of ministry right now. And that resonated with me because of all the strategies. And I just say this. I say this for me just as a reminder to me of all the strategies that can be implemented um, to help people come to know Christ and to help churches grow. Nothing takes the place of preaching God's word, praying and sharing the gospel. Nothing takes its place. And I'm grateful for that. So we've seen God actually do that over these years and uh, not at a rate that's, I wish it was more. Uh, there's so many mistakes I've made in ministry in these days. And so God has given us such a gracious people who have showed great grace to this pastor. And, and I hope that I've shown great grace to them as well. 
So Ray, let's un let's unpack some of that a little a little bit. You mentioned right. Tom Rainer, Graham School, and uh, <laughs> so uh, church. You even brought church growth in there, which is yeah. kind of all by the wayside. And and I, I think that's a little bit unfortunate, but we can talk about that if we if we should. Uh, but here's a quote from Charles Arn, who was um, one of the guys who wrote a lot about church growth. He first encouraged churches to have multiple multiple services. Either Charles or his brother Win Arn. They were both involved in church growth movement. But listen to this quote, and I'd like you to uh, interact with it. He said, it, this is about tenure and growth. There is an undeniable relationship between pastoral tenure and church growth. While most growing churches have long-term pastorates and some non-growing churches have long-term pastorates, it is almost unheard of to find a growing church with many short-term pastorates. Frequent change of pastors seems to negate all the other complicated ingredients that go into a church's growth mix. How do you react to Arne's quote that um, that most growing churches have long tenured pastors, pastors, and some non-growing churches also have long tenured pastors. Pastors. So the long-term pastor is not a guarantee of church growth, but it seems to be one of the the the, uh, the realities in churches that are are growing. So what would you say about that? Yeah, let me speak to this in two terms. I'd say first of all. Um, I was the pastor here at Coral Hill for two years. I, I should say I was the preacher here for two years before I ever became the pastor. Um, they had had a series of pastors, some very good. Some One pastor was here 20 some years, but most pastorates seemed to be three or four years in tenure and then they were moving out. Sometimes it was a pastor who was going to seminary or getting training. And once that training was done, they moved on to another church field. And uh, I think for a lot of churches, why why is it difficult for for churches that have a series of pastors to sustain uh, healthy growth is is often because when I was first here for two years, there was a recognized central leadership within a group of people that I was not a part of. And it took two years for me to develop the full confidence of that group, particularly one man in particular. And I remember the day and the night that everything changed for us in terms of when I when I no longer was just the preacher, but I became the pastor and the man in our church. And thankfully for our situation, this one man was a spiritual minded man. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes churches just don't have that. They have that one man that's not spiritual minded. And my heart goes out to those brothers who pastor in those congregations. But I had one man that was a spiritual minded man. He, he, he said this one night, Todd, in, a, in, a, in one of our meetings. He said, in the army, I was a BR man. He said the BR man had one responsibility, and that was to protect the guy on the radio. If communications ever got knocked out, that troop was in trouble. He looked at me in front of all the congregation, pointed his finger, and said, Brother Ray, I'm going to be your BR man. I'm going to protect you as you, as you communicate the gospel. That changed the atmosphere of our church. That one man in the congregation that people were looking to for every decision, he allowed that to be shifted to me. And that took time to do that. You don't, you think you deserve that because now you wear the mantle of pastor and you walk in and you're the leader. You are not the leader. Margaret Thatcher said, if you have to tell people you're the leader, you are most certainly not the leader. And it takes time for that person to develop the confidence, the spiritual confidence that often is only warranted when they see you not at your best, but when they see you at your worst. When they see how you handle situations with a spiritual mindset, then they're going to be able to be have confidence within you. Now, you can have a long-term pastor as well. The second part of your question, what about churches that have a long-term uh, long pastor, but they're not healthy? I asked a brother who, uh, uh, Brother Robbie, uh, Robbie Perkins, he, he started pastoring one of our KBC churches in Park City. He's over at Edmonton Worship Center now. He got in, he, he wasn't always a part of Kentucky Baptist Circle. So we were talking a little bit about this. And Robbie asked me what, what, I, what, would, what would be the greatest challenge or encouragement I would give to him. And while, while my temptation would be to say, hey, you got to keep doing this in the church. You got to keep these plates spinning. I said, Robbie, this is what I can tell you. The greatest challenge that you're going to have in a long-term and long-term pastorate is keeping your own passion lit. Because it's going to be real easy to get comfortable. It's going to be real easy just to kind of settle back into what you've always done, what's always worked. But the reality is, is nothing is stagnant within the body of Christ, within culture. Things are changing all the time. And my greatest challenge is not to keep the church on fire. My greatest challenge is to keep me on fire. 
to keep me because the church will always be reflective of its leadership. And if I wane in my in my passion, in my zeal, in my hunger for the word, that's going to be reflective in the congregation that I'm serving. All right, right. So let's diagnose. Let's do some pastoral diag diag diagnosis here and Christian leadership diagnosis. What are the indicators in your life when your passion is waning? Yeah, boy, that's that's a good question. Uh, I love what somebody talked about years ago. They likened preaching to uh, uh, to delivering a baby. They get an idea, they get a thought in its in its embryonic stage, and you begin to let that thing fester and build within you, and you develop that thing, and you become impregnated with a message. And then and then when you get ready to deliver that message. Man, it's like birthing that baby. It takes effort. It takes labor. It takes that delivery. And then once that's all done, you get pregnant again for the following week. Um, I think one reason, one way you know that you're able to kind of know that you're waning is that uh, the responsibility of ministry no longer is a joy, but it's a job. And that doesn't mean there's not certain things. There are certain things that we're not gifted for as pastors that we're still called to do, whether it's meetings. I was in a finance meeting. The other day, uh, we're in the, we're in a we're in a series of uh, trying to update our constitution because we're in the process of changing some leadership model. And I just told those folks, I said, "This is not my wheelhouse. I'm here because I have to be here." And uh, so there's some of that stuff. But those things that really excite me about ministry is preaching and coming alongside people and helping people develop in those space. When you begin to see that what you're gifted for is no longer a joy. You, you need to step back a little bit. You need to step back and, and allow God to renew that passion. I still get excited when I personally study God's word, when I'm getting ready to preach. My most, and we, I hope we get a chance to talk about preaching a little bit, but my most exciting time is not so much when I'm preaching in the pulpit as much as the time I'm preparing to preach in the pulpit, because it sounds a lot better in my mind than what comes out of my mouth when it's time to preach. <laughs> Ray, I preach my very best sermons driving down I-65 or <laughs> Parkway or West Kentucky. Yeah, and somewhere absolutely. To, and somewhere to preach. I thought, man, if, that, if that's what came out in the pulpit, it, it'd be a great day today. <laughs> so let, let's talk about then. So have you um, a time or two when you've recognized your passion has has faded, that it was it was just a little more ministry felt like drudgery? What uh, has that happened to you? Yeah, there's there's been a number of times that that's happened to me um, in relationship to the church. I, I remember um, we were 12 years in to the ministry and we really kind of hit a wall. Um, what I mean by that, God began to do some things in our church that began to change the trajectory of our fellowship. Um, interestingly enough, Steve Ayers came and did a four day revival. See, even the name Steve Ayers brings a grin to your face because <laughs> you know that this is going to be unconventional. And Steve came in, he preached four messages. And um, I had a lady in our church that I love deeply. She said, he ruined our church. And I said, well, if someone can ruin your church with four sermons, you didn't have much of a church to begin with. And we began to see an exodus of people. There was no deliberate intention to change what we were doing. God's presence was so rich and was so good, but God was clearly doing some things among us that were not orchestrated by us. And we began to see an exodus of some real solid people. That man I mentioned to you, that was the spiritual stalwart of our church. He lost confidence in me and he left our church. Our women's ministry director, Demi Mute director left our church, our church song director and, 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 and family left our church, some very key people and good people. And I can tell you to this day, my heart just absolutely grieved for those days. And I didn't know why that was happening because I was, I wasn't trying to force any change. I wasn't trying to listen. I've never been a part of that group that says that's a blessed subtraction. My heart was grieved over every person that has ever left our fellowship. When Moses, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, Pharaoh said, let's leave some people. You all leave some people behind and you all just go on. And Moses said, absolutely not. We're going to take our young, our old. We're taking everybody with me. I think that's the heart of the pastor. I think he wants to take everybody with him and not leave anybody behind. And so we were in this 12 year funk and, and good people were leaving our church. And I was so I was so worn out by that, that I not only asked God to give me a new assignment, I asked God to take me out of the ministry completely. I was so dis, I was so disillusioned 
because I was in this thing like many pastors are. We just want to preach and see people get saved. That's all we want to do. And all this other stuff just began to come in, these power ploys and political moves and, and people questioning your motives and, and all of that. And I was ready to quit. There was a church in Western Kentucky that asked, somehow they got my name and said, would you send us a resume? And I prayed about that. And I clearly felt like the Lord said, don't send that. So I sent my resume anyway. And <laughs> I sent my resume anyway. And in about two or three weeks, I got a letter back. Don't call us. We'll call you kind of letter. So added to my depression was rejection. And the Holy Spirit was like, I tried to keep you from all that, you know. And I was really in a spirit of despondency. But again, I'm going to tell you what God did, how God began to refresh me. God raised up in our church a lady by the name of Tilly Garman. God put it on her heart to send my wife and I to the cove where Billy Graham uh, Center is at. She gave us a weekend. She paid for our way to get away. That was just good to get away. But there was a statement on one of the walls. When you walk around campus, you see all kinds of statements by Billy Graham. There was a statement that said, God does not send his men to the easy places, but to the hard places. It brought me back to God's word and two places in God's word reignited my soul and my passion in those days. The first one was interestingly enough found in the book of Numbers. It's a story where, where Moses was uh, tired of leading Israel who were complaining all the time. And, and God had told Moses to, to speak to the rock. And you remember that he smote the rock instead of speaking to it. And as a result of that, God said, I'm going to let you see the promised land, but I'm not going to let you go into it. And man, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart about that because I said, Lord, I don't want to go through ministry and get to the point where I see where you're taking God's people, but not be a part of that. The second place was in John chapter 10. And as I read John chapter 10, in that place where Jesus said he was the good shepherd and we know his voice. But then it comes to that place, Todd, in that text where the Bible says, but you are not a hireling. Because the hireling, when the wolf comes, leaves at the most darkest hour. And for my spirit, God spoke to me and said, this is a dark hour. And if you're a hireling, then you need to leave. He said, but if you're my under shepherd, I need you here. And, and, I, and I share that with you just to tell you, again, God used his word. He used his word to reignite my passion and to help me see my true spiritual condition. God had to remove. I allowed a root of bitterness to get inside of me toward my people. And, and I share this, Todd, that just as real as my salvation experience was for me, so was my deliverance from that root of bitterness. It's a terrible thing when a pastor ministers out of a spirit of bitterness and, and they're bitter toward the people they're trying to minister to. God had, that wasn't a problem with my people. That was a problem with me. And God had to take that out of me and show me that he's the one that positioned me there. And it, and it revolutionized my heart and mind during that tenure. Now, there have been other times where I've struggled with a lack of passion and, and a lack of purity. And I, let me just insert this. Where there's a lack of purity, there's going to be a lack of passion. Wow. And, and so God's had to correct me in issues of those in my life as well. And, uh, and so I'm grateful for his grace. Ray, I hear you saying on the on the, the the tough part when you hit a wall and and really had to get with get with God that and in some cases the Lord's led pastors other ways He's led them to leave a place when they when they hit that spot, but but God is the one that led you through it. You you just had to get on your face before the Lord and get it get it figured out and and God gave direction when you did. It sounds like. Well, you know Isaiah was commissioned to preach fifty five years to the to the Southern Kingdom. But, but Jonah was commissioned 40 days. Yeah. And so I don't want to communicate that a pastor who's there is a long time is in God's will, or if a pastor's there for a short time, but they need to they need to come when God says come, and they need to go when God says go. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, Coral, Coral Hill's a growing church, and, and, you know, numbers don't tell the whole story, but they do, they do tell a story of God's faithfulness where you've been. The best I can tell... If you've been there 34 years, the church was, you'd sit around 100 in Sunday school, I think, when you started, and you all are probably close to 300 now, pre-COVID. You, you were probably around 140 or so in worship when you started this past year. You, and then um, 2019, you were at 440 pre-COVID. So you've doubled, more than doubled in attendance. You, your giving has gone from about $50,000 budget to $550,000 budget. Uh, that has not been reflected in my salary, incidentally. 
<laughs> this was interesting to me. The cooperative program was about um, one or two percent. It looked like when you when you started, and uh, you, you guys are around nine percent on 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 CP. And you baptized and you baptize a lot of folks every year. I mean, about twenty or so people on average, twenty plus probably probably every year. So you said your intention was not to grow a church, but your intention was to be healthy. And I, I get that. I, th I think the same way. And I did as a I did as a pastor. But you you were intent. You are intentional on outreach. Um, so help just help me think through that. I think I think everybody would say their intention is to be healthy. That's what I want to get at. Every, everybody says the same thing. But it seems like that your health for you all means reaching new people with the gospel. Is that is that fair? Well, yeah. Let, I would I would clarify that by by saying a couple things. First of all. Um, we became very intentional in, in our missions. Um, some of the things that revolutionized the trajectory of our fellowship was when we began to, rather than, rather than just send money to support missions, we began to send people on mission. Right. When people came back that we knew that told stories of their own experience, the stories became re re real and relevant to us. One of the first groups we ever sent was a group of folks down to North Carolina that went into a to a poor area in North Carolina, ministered and came back excited about the gospel. And that that actually just launched a number of mission groups that we've been sending out. And uh, and then, of course, my son, Jordan, he and his wife served as IMB missionaries to Brazil. We had a young man from Fountain Run, Kentucky, that served in Mozambique, a young lady that's gone to North Africa. We begin seeing people raise the people out of our, and so that's become natural for us now. So that was a that was a good marker of health for us. There was, there's been a steady diet of preaching. Uh, I have a strong conviction about expository preaching and not that other forms are not good or valid because God blesses anything that comes out of his word. But my conviction is that God uses it. I've not shunned to declare the whole gospel of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that, that it's okay not to preach expository sermons, but if you do, repent of it and don't do it again for five years. And, uh, and so expository preaching has been really a, a wheelhouse for us that's forced me to preach on very tough subjects. It's forced me to deal with difficult passages, ones that are easy to avoid. So God has brought us. And being here for 34 years, I preached one of the most exciting books. I preached verse by verse in the book of Leviticus. And uh, it was just a great blessing to see Christ manifest himself through all those sacrifices and just and just having that balance. So it was getting our people to be on mission, getting our people to be biblical, helping people see through a biblical lens. Now, the third component is this thing of evangelism, because I don't want to separate missions and evangelism. We often just lump that together and they do they do ride back to back in each other. But this has been the extra challenge for me as a pastor, uh, because my passion when I wake up is not, boy, I need to reach people for Jesus. As much as my passion when I'm waking up is, how can I help my people be more like Jesus? So for me, I have to be intentional. And I'm just being honest here. I wish I could say that, man, I, and I do, I want to see people get saved. But I'm thinking, how can I help my people become more like Jesus rather than how can I help someone come to Jesus? And so I have to be intentional. And I've heard you say before, and I think it's absolutely true, that our people are only going to be as evangelistic as their pastor. And, right. and I recognize that my own evangelistic fervor and fire needs to be more intentional. And so I've sought to do that. Let me say to you, I appreciate Kenny Rager. I appreciate, I appreciate Rick Howerton. I appreciate the men that have been brought on the KBC staff that have provided us resources and a sounding board. And one of the great blessings to me is that I've recognized how much more I needed to be invested in. Uh, God has given me the privilege to have some formal education through Clear Creek, through Southern Seminary, through the experience that I've had. But man, I'm just constantly reminded of how much I need to be invested in. So I've had to be intentional about getting additional training. Here I am almost 60 years old and I'm still trying to soak up how to be a better witness how to get beyond that fear, how to get beyond my own failures and own own uh, inadequacy in that area. So uh, we've tried to continue to keep models before our people and celebrate when people come to Christ and make we make a big deal out of everybody who comes to Christ. Yeah, right. That's that's exciting. So I hear you just say at least say that you've been you've been intentional in the in the work. And uh, man, I love the comment on lifelong learner. You didn't use those words, but I. Uh, um, 
Tim, Dr. Booker, who we've had on here before and probably one of your professors at Southern, and I love Dr. Booker, but we had, uh, we had Don McCutcheon here to do a, a full one-day evangelism training. And here's, here's Dr. Tim Booker, professor of evangelism at Southern Seminary, shows up with his notebook in hand and Bible in hand to sit for uh, all day and listen to another guy talk about evangelism. And man, that just, that communicated volumes to me about the importance of being a, a lifelong learner and being invested in, as you said, learning from others. Well, let's talk about your preaching. So you preach through books of the Bible. Have you always done that, your time at, at Coral Hill? Well, at, at Coral Hill, yes, but not I've not always done that. Of course, as I began pastoring at 19 and had no formal training, I just thought you just had to find something and hang on. And so uh, Hyman Appleby was my best friend. Uh, some of those simple sermons for simple, simple preachers, you know, and, and I would just re-preach those sermons. I'd repackage them and, and re-preach them. And Vance Havner said that's nothing but preaching dead men's brains, you know, when all you do is rehash what somebody else has preached. And, 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 you know, you just get to a point where for me, uh, um, the topical preaching, I struggled every week. Where am I going this week? What am I going to say? And I was just hoping that I'd get some inspirational thought. And as I just became more convicted and convinced of the authority of God's word and the responsibility of the preacher of declaring the whole counsel of God, for me, it just made perfect sense. Now, I do believe that God directs us in our preaching. And uh, I believe God can tell me what he wants me to begin to think about a month from now, as well as he can moments before I get in a pulpit. I don't think there's anything more or less spiritual about your dependence on the Holy Spirit. But I do think that there's a season that God would have us focus in this book. For example, we are just now finishing up through the book of Romans. We've been teaching a doctrinal study through the gospel and its application. And this Sunday, as God's divine providence would have it, we're in, we're in Romans chapter 13, where how do we respond to a government that asks us to do things that we feel are unbiblical or that are a violation of our own conscience? Well, we get to unpackage that this Sunday. And I'm not going to be able to avoid the mask issue that's been attention with some of our congregations. And, uh, and so I've got to talk about that and how that deals with that. So I've had this conviction of where God has brought me through books and where he brings me through that. When we get done, I already have clear leading that I'm going to be preaching the prison letters, letters from prison. And I don't know whether I'm going to be in prison when I'm preaching those uh, based on what I say this coming Sunday or not. Uh, but, uh, but, but I already sense God's leadership. Incidentally, I remember a story that there was two professors who were sitting in chapel one day and uh, they were listening to a young preacher preach and and the guy preaching was absolutely butchering the passage. He was just doing an absolutely horrible job. But one pastor, one professor leaned over to the other professor and he said, I understand he was one of your students in class. And the other professor said, no, he attended my class, but he was never one of my students. <laughs> and so I, I've tried to I've tried to have confidence, confidence in God's word, just believing. One of the things that really excited me here the other day, and this is one of those things that you know this, Todd, um, it was a simple statement. There's nothing profound about the statement, but it was a simple reminder that God works in supernatural ways. And if we're not careful, we think that God has to, we have to, we have to make sure that it's our personality. We have to be clever. We have to be cute and creative and all of that. And all that place has a, has a place in good communication, but none of that is what brings conviction. It's just trusting the word of God and the spirit of God to do what God said he would do. So it's been my conviction, preach the word, preach the word. You've been preaching for a long time. What, what mistakes have you made in, in preaching that had to be corrected from the Lord? Just uh, whatever they were. Well, I haven't looked at the clock, so I don't know how much time we have left here. Uh, you know, You're good. Just take all the time you need. Yeah. Well, you know, in my ordination, um, the fellow who was preaching my ordination um, gave advice that he himself did not follow, uh, which said, never use the pulpit as a place to launch your personal mission, missiles. And sometimes we get something on our mind and we end up preaching toward individuals rather than preaching to the congregation. Uh, Junior Hill said something in a sermon years ago. He said, preachers, you're not called to be junior psychologists. You don't know what the needs of your people are. The Holy Spirit knows what those needs are. You be faithful to preach the word. It doesn't mean that we don't know our people. But I don't know how many times, Todd, that I've preached with my eye on this guy over here. And during invitation, this guy came. 
and I never thought, never saw him and never thought about him. When that woman came to Jesus for healing, she thought she needed to be healing from her flow of blood. Jesus knew she had a deeper need. I don't, I know my people, but I don't know their needs. And so I'm called to preach the word of God and let the spirit of God take his word and communicate that. Sometimes I, I sometimes in my own preaching, uh, I, I sometimes have tried to take on the role of the Holy Spirit and, and preach thinking I'm really going to get them with this. And I, and I really don't. I alienate yeah, Ray, it never works. You know, uh, and I asked the question open-ended about mistakes. I was going to ask you uh, in my mind, I was going to ask you, have you ever preached personalized sermons? And it's interesting. That's the way you answered it. My experience has been when I preach a personalized sermon aimed at somebody launching a missile, uh, the guy I preach to sleeps all the way through my message. And then some little old lady gets up and comes to the altar just repenting for what an awful person she is. And I'm like, no, it's not you. It's that guy out there. He's a, he's a problem. Thank you so much for for, for answering that way. Hey, let's talk a minute about, about race relations. You've led in your community in race relations. I read an article this morning about the, the Easter service, the joint service that you all have, have done. Why is, uh, why is race relations important to you? And I, in fact, I don't think you use that term. You use a different term and, and use the term that you like. Yeah, the term I'm familiar with here in our community is, is partnership. Um, we're not looking for just a relationship. We're looking for partnership. And we, we, we moved our worship service here at Coral Hill. We've had to adjust our worship because of our growth. We haven't, we didn't expand our building, um, here. We, we, we moved from one service to two services from two services to three services because of the size of our sanctuary. Just recently, we built a, a larger facility that's allowed us to accommodate more folks. But the buildings have never been our focus. It's been our community. It's been building a real relationship. So when it came to Easter, we knew there was no way we were going to be able to house everybody. So we actually uh, we actually got the Barron County High School Gymnasium, and we are able to have services. And in those services, we have anywhere from 700 to 1,000 people that would show up. Uh, which was just great. It was a great opportunity to present the gospel. And we did that for a number of years. And uh, one year, Emmanuel Baptist Church, one of our sister churches in our association, was uh, had needing an interim pastor. Brother Curtis uh, Woods was an uh, interim during those days. And they came and we had Curtis come, of course, not just as a courtesy, but I've got all confidence in Brother Curtis. He came and just shared a great challenge. And I preached. I did so much better than him in preaching <laughs> that day. And, <laughs> and it was just a great experience. And our folks loved it. But we, we decided to to try to reach out to some of the brothers that God had forged a friendship with, with me and with Jeremy Atwood, who's now the pastor. I think Jeremy just served as our vice president of the KBC a year or so ago. And there was a couple brothers that we we did not look to forge a fellowship with them because of the color of their skin but we wanted to find brothers who shared a passion for the gospel whose main purpose was not race relationship but whose main purpose was to see people come to faith through the gospel of jesus christ and it was those people that we began to say could we partner together with them and so we asked them would they be willing to join with us with Emmanuel Coral Hill and two other congregations Harlow's Chapel and First Baptist of, of, of Glasgow would you guys be willing to partner with us and they said absolutely they joined with us and for the last two years we didn't do that this year COVID was one reason we we sensed God was doing some other things among us that would take us beyond just Easter celebration we wanted even a deeper identification with them but here's what we've been, because you begin to see the, the tension of race throughout our country, um, we've had three candid conversations, public conversations that we have put on Facebook, we, we made them live, to where we were not yelling at each other, but that we were talking to each other, trying to understand the perspective, because we believe that while I may never make an impact in New York or in Miami, I wanna make an impact here in our community. And, and there has to be the, the face of the white face and the black face. And we both have to be talking about the gospel. And, and so that's been, that's been a real passion of ours to be very intentional, not about race relationship, but intentional about the gospel among those who have different uh, worship traditions. And Ray, you even, you even referenced it as united under the cross. In fact, I think you said you didn't want to refer to racial reconciliation, but instead uh, united under the cross, if I'm, if I'm remembering right. Well, the, the Hottie Lewis and uh, J.D. Greer, who had the con candid conversation, 
we we tried to put in our hands and to read the the, the perspective of other brother from the side. We just had a conversation with one brother who I was very plain with him that while I certainly affirm that Black Lives Matter, that as a Christian, that I could not affirm the organization in terms of those other things that have attached to it. And just sharing those reasons and this other brother who said, I not only embrace the message, I embrace the whole organization. And I wanted to hear that perspective a little bit from him. And whether I agree with that perspective or not, we were talking together as brothers in Christ. And, and I think I think we're doing an awful lot of shouting and very little listening in these days. And I'm and I'm under the great conviction, Todd, that I've got so much to learn still, a lifelong learner. We've already talked about that, but I've got so much that I'm still trying to learn. And when the KBC, when, when I have opportunities to kind of let people pour into me, I want to be able to do that. And this race relationship, I, I had to be educated about what systemic racism means and what does it mean when it talks about some of these different terms because the words they use and mean are not the same words i use and mean the same thing so i've had to be really educated on this but at the same time not not um uh not sidestep the truth of the gospel for the sake of unity the gospel is still got to be primary Ray, I, I hear you describing a conversation where you disagreed and we're still able to be uh, to have a have a friendship. Man, I've I've grown because of that. It's 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 oftentimes when I disagree with someone and I hear their perspective that I have to I have to reflect on my own. And I've been I've been wrong before. Hey, let's talk about leadership for for a moment. Um, how do you describe yourself as a leader? What if you were to try to put a style based on how you kind of go at leading? What would you say about yourself in that way? Yeah. Um Interestingly enough, I I don't really perceive myself as a as a strong leader. Right. Um, I'm a I'm not a I'm not a micromanager. I have a strong conviction that if you give someone an assignment, um, you need to give them liberty and latitude to do that assignment with their own giftedness. That doesn't mean that we don't we don't watch over them. The Bible one guy said what we don't uh, that we we don't we need to inspect what we expect. And so if we if we give somebody assignment, we need to make sure it's being done well and what have you. But at the same time, if there is a church committee, if there is a staff member, if there is an assignment I've given to somebody, I'm going to let them utilize their gifts and bring recommendation to the table from their perspective. And so I'm not a micromanager in that regard. Uh, but I do. I want I want to lead by example. I want to lead by passion. I want people to see that I'm committed to God's word and I certainly want to live out my faith. I want to be the same in the pulpit as I am outside the pulpit. I want to be the same at home as I am in the marketplace. So wherever you see me, I want to be authentic. And you can only put on a show for so long because before long you realize, you know, you forget that you got your mask on and, the, and what you are comes out, you know. So I don't know. I don't know how I would really define myself as a leader because I've never really... I read those leadership books and I get convicted because I'm not anything like those guys. Ray, let me help you then. I, I would I would describe you as a convictional leader that you have you have deep deep rooted convictions that that folks know you and know um, kind of where you, where you're going to want to go. You're a compassionate leader. You obviously care for people, but but you do have a clear direction and and probably it comes just out of your life that you probably lead primarily by example and. Folks are glad to go with you on the on the on the journey. Hey, you have a you have a great sense of humor. I'm sure that your your wife probably doesn't always think you're that funny. But uh, <laughs> has your has your sense of humor been helpful to you as a pastor, or has it ever gotten you in trouble? Well, you asked a question earlier. Um, what mistakes have I made in preaching? And uh, sometimes I, I will insert uh, humor in an in a not in an inappropriate way, but in an inappropriate place. I heard uh, one of the professors, I think it was H.G. Childs, who said at Clear Creek, he said, get people to laugh, and when they open their mouth, throw truth into it. Yeah. And uh, and then I've heard some preachers that condemn all types of humor or levity in the pulpit as well. And uh, because I was because I responded to the gospel when Ronnie Owens was preaching, Ronnie is a very active and open and emotional preacher. And so one time, you know, Ronnie had this thing where he would kick his leg up really high when he got happy in the Lord. And so I tried to do that. And, and when I did that, I was preaching at Rawhide and I thought, are you an idiot? I felt like an idiot because that wasn't me. And the Holy Spirit just reminded me he made it me the way I am. And, and that I ought not to use humor for the sake of humor. 
And I don't do that. I do that in casual conversation. But when it comes to communicating truth, that that humor ties to truth and it helps people loosen up around you. I use it in that regard. And uh, and so it's it's been a great it's been a great door opener. Probably part of that is when I was a little boy, my mom used to rock me a lot. She used these big rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so that explains a lot of how, how I goes, think about things. That, that goes a long way. Hey, so 34 <laughs> years in one place, if you could go back and, and speak to 25-year-old Ray Woody starting out at, at um, Coral Hill, what would, you, what would you say to him? Yeah. That's a great question, Todd. I didn't expect that question. Um, I, would, I would probably say you need to spend more time praying. I would say spend more time with Jesus than anything else. I try to do that still, but, but being with Jesus, they took note that they were ignorant and unlearned, but they took time to be with Jesus. And uh, I'm going to tell you after 40 some years of ministry, I still don't have it figured out. And I still have to spend time with Jesus. One of the things Todd, that has allowed me to stay here for so long, um, aside from owing everybody money, they don't want to let me go because I owe them. <laughs> um, one of the things is that the ministry has never gotten to a place where where it's not been a challenge. God has made us bigger. God has brought new 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 challenges to us. There's been conflict that's come into the congregation that has forced me on my face before God to ask God to give me grace and wisdom to how to handle that. And so God has been so gracious. It's the ministry has always been bigger than me. I've never got to a place where I feel like I've got this and I don't. And my real challenge is if God ever led me away from here and led me back to a smaller congregation, would I have that same burden and say, God, I need you as desperately in a church of 10 as I would in the church of whatever size. So God has just kept the challenge in front of me and I recognize I need him. So Ray, folks that know you describe describe you as they reference your humility, and hu humility is not a it's not a posture or an act that we put on. It's it's rec it's recognizing that I'm in over my head, that I I really can't do this unless God yeah. enables me. I, I think it's Psalm three where King David says, "Thou hast enlarged me in my distress." And I, yeah. I, so have you have you spent most of your ministry that way, feeling like you were in over your head? Well, uh, humility is my greatest gift. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I'm just getting this. I appreciate just being able to be transparent with you. Um, I feel like much of my ministry has been marked by by fear and not fear of, of, of the enemy. Um, and I wish I could say it was because of fear of God or just fear of failure, but fear of man, yeah. you know, just fear. And that fear paralyzes. Fear has torment and afraid to take a step of faith because of what might happen or what might not happen. And so it has forced me to, to be an individual who has sought God in the middle of my fear and to say, God, you've not given me a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind. And so God, I'm gonna walk by faith in this region or this area. And um, uh, God is just continually having to transform my thoughts. And so, I've, and I just an honest statement, I feel like the greatest hindrance to the advancement of the ministry at Coral Hill is right here with me. Because again, the church will only be as passionate and powerful as, as the person behind the pulpit leading them. So I don't want to hold this back. I want to, we, you know, I told you we we're in the midst of this building project. We just got done finishing up uh, building a sanctuary. And that was a major step for our people. We would have done that 10 years ago if our church kept looking to me saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I just couldn't get a word from the Lord about that. And, uh, and, and Randy Shaw, pastor at Calvary Baptist Church here in our area, wonderful brother in Christ. I asked him to come. His church had gone through a season of building. And I said, can you come and tell our church, give us a justifiable reason why we can spend two million plus in building a facility when we can send that money to overseas to people who've never heard the gospel. Well, Randy came and he, he, he made a statement that the Lord used to spark in my heart. He said, we often think that missions is something that's done overseas when we need to remember that 80% plus of people that live in Barron County are unreached and unsaved, that there's a mission field right here. And that if God has blessed you and caused you to grow, you need to make accommodation for that growth. And I don't think he knew he was speaking to me, but God used that. And I said, let's go. And our folks just exploded out the door. 
Ray, preach revival at um, one of the churches in Barron County. Um, it's just not coming to mind. I preached I preached there two different two different times, and knocked on doors in the community prior to the revival service. The last door we came to on Wednesday night, right before I was going to go preach, was the leader of the Jehovah's Witness work in Barron County. Barron County is a pretty good sized county. Forty, I think maybe around forty thousand people. I could be off on that. And we didn't witness to him. He talked at us for five minutes, as as those guys are prone to do. But he made this statement. He said, he said, our group knocks on every door in this county twice every year. They're a group of probably 100 people. And, and so w- w- what you just said is that Barron County is a mission field, too. Uh, it's not either or. It's both. It's both. And hey, real quick, have you ever had to deal with criticism? <laughs> now, are you talking about marriage or ministry? <laughs> <laughs> They're the same, aren't they? <laughs> well, you know, criticism and, 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 you know, a person who who tends to listen too much to what people say, that can really wound you. Um, Matthew Henry said that if we're deaf to men's criticisms, we'll be deaf to their praises. And unfortunately, we tune in to people's praises. We want to hear them say that was a good sermon. You're a good pastor. And if you start listening for that, then you're also going to listen to that wasn't very good or that's you've not been a very effective pastor. Um, Corey Ten Boom made a great comment. She said she was always uncomfortable when people would commend her for for sharing or her testimony. She said, I learned to take those by like flowers in my hand and say, thank you. And she said, then at night, I would bundle them up in a bouquet and say to the Lord, these are for you. Mm. And I would be reminded that I, I'm not oblivious or, or numb to criticism. I take it personal. I take it deeply. And uh, I often have to step back and just, again, just as I would give the Lord that bouquet of, uh, of flowers to the Lord, I need to give the Lord that bouquet of thorns to the Lord as well and say, Lord, some of this is justified. Some of the criticism is justified. I didn't listen. I didn't respond at a timely manner. And it's justified. So take take responsibility for what you're responsible for and trust the Lord. I just say this to you. The Lord told me something. And I when I say told me something, as I read his word and the spirit just speaks through his word, well, I came to a reminder that Jesus was criticized and he opened not his mouth. And the Lord said uh, through through that passage to me, he said, when you get criticized, don't open your mouth. Uh, I thought that's good. Well, within the next two months, there was two good brothers that I love dearly and deeply and still do. They just brought they brought accusation against accusation. This just a few months ago against some things that they perceived that I had done or not done. And they were just really one after the other. And I found myself not thinking of that passage, but defending every accusation they made and every accusation I answered. There was another accusation. And when that was all done, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart again and said, I told you that you didn't have to open your mouth because if a man doesn't trust your heart, he doesn't trust anything that comes out of your mouth. Wow. And I just I said, Lord, thank you for just reminding me. And I would just have to remind these brothers that I love them. And and yeah, I probably messed up big time. And I did. Dr. Booker helped me with that a few weeks ago when I listened to him. Him uh, with this leadership lesson, you know, you don't know the half of it. You think I'm bad? You don't know the half of it. <laughs> it's, it's much worse than you know, <laughs> Ray. If I had a microphone, I'd drop it right now on what you what you just said. Listen, you um, you know, just listen to you, and and I, I loved you before. I love you more now that I know some more things about you. And anybody that joins us here will will also, um, brother. You're just a blessing. Your life is a testimony of dependence on God and that if, if a guy will just throw himself at the mercy of God and just cry out to him in dependence, man, you really can walk on water, can't you? Yeah. You know, we're getting ready to begin a new series tonight on um, the life of the disciples, who they were and why God chose them. And of course, they were extraordinarily ordinary. And I read something and I wish I could quote the person that said it, uh, said the only requirement that God ever needed from anybody was for them to say yes to the invitation, follow me, and he takes it from there. Amen. Yeah. Ray, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Ray Woody, pastor, 34-year pastor at Coral Hill in near Glasgow, Kentucky. And what a what a blessing, what a great brother. Would you pray for Kentucky Baptist pastors and any others? We have folks that join from other parts as well. As, as Would you pray for us? I'd be glad to. Father God in heaven, thank you. 
that uh, this conversation has not been about me or ministry. It's not been about Todd or the work of the Kentucky Baptist Convention, but it's the work of God's grace in the heart of God's people. And that Father, that uh, Todd and I both represent those who stand in need of great grace from a great God. And not we only, Father, but across this great commonwealth and our great country, we stand in need of the grace of God to be poured out in abundance. Our country needs healing. Our churches need revival. Your, your men who stand in the pulpit need a fresh word from heaven. God, I pray that you would do this for your glory, your honor, that many sons and daughters would be birthed into the kingdom. And that, Father, once again, the joy bells of salvation would ring from the center of our souls to the glory of our God. I pray, Father, you'll do this for your glory, your honor, your praise, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons.